Welcome to this week's Hotel Analyst podcast, where as normal you'll be getting 20 minutes or so of thoughts from uh, the two of us sat around the desk of Insight here at Hotel Analyst. My name is Chris Bound, the editor at Hotel Analyst, and I'm joined by Andrew Sankster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst. And we are knee deep in results season for most. That's the first quarter for some, such as Whitbread. That's the end of their last year. And we're going to start by having a look at uh, Whitbread and Scandic. But before we do, that's probably fair to say that uh, most of the big hotel groups uh, that are reporting are pretty much back to performing where they were or even slightly ahead of where they were uh, pre-pandemic in 2019. And by and large, that means all of them are, are back nicely in the black, earning good money, and uh, they need to impress us and their shareholders and stakeholders with what they're going to do next. Uh, in a market where things seem to be surprisingly ticking along pretty well. Uh, so for uh, Whitbread and Scandic, uh, answering that question, well, uh, let's have a look. Um, Whitbread is obviously pushing ahead with expanding hard in Germany. Uh, it recently also increased its, its target for the maximum size it thinks it can get to in the UK. So it's pushing ahead and growing in both those territories. Scandic, which uh, the Scandinavian operator, leasehold operator, which had a very tough time through the pandemic, has also bounced back very strongly. And they are looking to now finally uh, launch uh, their more economy brand called Scandic Go, which they got ready and were in the preparation to launch pre-pandemic, but quite sensibly uh, put on the back burner for the meantime. But they think they're going to be getting before very long to about 50 hotels uh, across Scandinavia and into parts, other parts of Europe. Um, so uh, a busy time all round. It's expansion is the way to go, so long as they can find some new hotels and some new sites that are going to fit the bill for them. Yeah, there's also some other things. I think these were a great set of results, both for Scandic and Whitbread. And I just want to focus on Whitbread in particular as the UK's uh, biggest uh, hotel group in terms of rooms open in the UK. Um, what Whitbread um, did very, very well was its trading on rooms. Less well was its F&B. Uh, I find it surprising that a former brewer, former pub owner, is so bad at F&B. <laughs> Maybe that's why it's former. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know. Maybe he decided to quit those bits because it wasn't very good at them. I don't know. Um, but certainly, I, you know, um, F&B is only about 15% of accommodation sales, uh, which you'd think actually these are places that ought to be attracting some locals in and they ought to be capable of driving uh, a higher proportion than that now i know accommodation has come back more strongly but uh, you know um the new ceo uh, dominic paul so he he used to be at whitbread running um costa coffee um and then he was ceo of domino's um the pizza chain so he knows a bit about that sort of f and b piece both in the daytime thing with costa and in the the food service piece in terms of dominoes it those some of those skills ought to be deployed now i think in improving that f and b offer at whitbread um the other thing that um 
Whitbread has to worry about um, and probably a bigger thing in many ways is delivering in Germany and making Germany work um, and it's still well they reckon they're going to be breaking even um, next year um, I think that's going to be a toughie if they're going to deliver that um, they're saying they're spending a billion pounds on expansion in Germany and they reckon they're going to get a return on that money of between 10 and 14 percent which is good going um and they're pushing they're at the moment you know with their pipeline they've got confirmed pipeline they're sort of ranking a in the sort of number twos um in in the german economy hotel market so they're alongside b&b motel one and best western um but you know significantly behind ibis which has twenty four thousand rooms um open in germany and i think uh you know whitbread needs to be chasing that and needs to get to a position um where it's clearly the number one in germany which it clearly is in the uk um it reckons it's got a structural advantage in being an owner operator and i i see that against accor which is fully committed to the uh franchise model for ibis um i'm less convinced that it's gonna be such a easy it's gonna be so easy going against the likes of b and b and motel one who have both very happy to lease um, and predominantly in Germany uh, Whitbread is leasing so um, I, I think it's very interesting this push into the German market um, there's always been a challenge with the economy hotel market um, there's a bit of a chicken and egg going on in um, to grow you need scale and to get scale you've got to deliver growth <laughs> um, and it's how you get there with that and you know uh, since I was uh, a boy reporter in short trousers I've been turning up to press conferences mostly from big American brands saying how they're going to sweep across Europe um, and they never have delivered on that um, I think the Whitbread's approach of using its balance sheet is much more likely to succeed um, um, but it's it's certainly not going to be an easy one what's so appealing i think about the german market it's like the uk market was a few years ago it's bigger than the uk market it's a couple of hundred thousand nearly three hundred thousand rooms bigger so the uk hotel market according to whitbread 686,000 rooms um, at the end of 22 the German market 966,000 so quite a bit bigger nearly 300,000 rooms bigger a third bigger um, the German market so that's a lot to go for if Whitbread can get there and do that the other thing that's very appealing about the German market it is um, dominated by independence still um, and whilst independents are still a significant force in the UK market um, they are less than half um, and they've, they've shrunk right back so 45% um, now according to Whitbread um, of the UK market but in Germany um, it's 67% so there's a lot to go for um, and the branded economy 
segment is smaller in Germany too and so the the Whitbread read-through they want you to make is that look we can grow and the the German economy market hotel market branded economy hotel market will grow to, to in a similar pattern to that in the UK um, maybe um, we'll see um, but uh, certainly there seems to be great opportunity it's just a question of delivery for Whitbread now now we're going to have a look at the two big beasts, Marriott and Hilton, and uh, ask a similar question, what are they going to do next to impress us all? And it would appear that um, uh, the, the answer is they are moving down market. Uh, perhaps, um, as, as uh, Chris Nassetta from Hilton articulated, they need to attract some new, younger uh, and less lower spending customers. Uh, flip side of that, obviously, being that your your high spending luxury customers are people in their middle and older ages, and they're never going to last forever. So you do need to replenish the pipeline and um, get the youngsters into your loyalty program. So, uh, what happened? Well, Hilton uh, was announcing a very strong set of results, uh, increasing, improving its outlook for the full year and uh, Chris Nassetta could, could not contain himself. He had to reveal that they are going to be launching a uh, extended stay brand to sit alongside their recently announced economy conversion brand, which is called Spark. So uh, he blurted that out and then gave us a lot of detail about how he sees that coming along. Uh, not to be outdone, uh, a few days later, Marriott's uh, CEO, Tony Capuano, uh, announcing a similarly uh, strong set of results, uh, revealed that uh, Marriott 2 is going to be launching a, uh, a lower tier extended stay brand, uh, again, to be named very soon. Uh, and of course, the other thing that Marriott has done recently is they've acquired the uh, Central American group City Express, which has given them a, their 31st brand, and that is a lower tier brand than pretty much anything else in the Marriott brand stable. Uh, again, they're looking now at what they can do to expand that from its kind of Mexico and Central American base into other territories. Um, so it appears that both of these uh, groups have spent the last months, years, perhaps some of the pandemic, working out what to do next and uh, they've both come up with some similar answers yeah i mean the big contrast here is with accor of course which has gone in the polar opposite direction mm. um, but before we get into that let's just make a comment about the q1 results um, they are bumper they're an absolute bonanza um and um you know in, in much better than than anybody hoped for i would suggest um that there is a caveat in that q1 2022 we still had covid restrictions so q2 is really the one to watch here um where we are what do we do you know we cannot see the level of increases we've had um quarter on you know quarter on quarter in terms of the from um a year ago um that that we, we've had um but if we are moving ahead um, still, um, that will be very positive indeed. And we are already um, significantly above um, 2019 numbers. Um, and overall, the industry as a whole, you know, we've got rates um, which are outpacing inflation. So the rate increase on 2019 is significantly higher than inflation. So the, the sector is in, is in a very good place indeed right now. Um, let's see how it carries on into Q2. I'm um, very optimistic um, 
let's talk about this issue in terms of the move into these lower chain scale mm. segments by the two giants Marriott and Hilton number one and number two respectively of the of the global um, brand majors um, so it's an interesting move um, Accor has been running around saying look don't measure us by our NUG, our net unit growth. Look at the value of the contracts we're bringing in. That claim will resonate uh, more prominently um, as the these two chase this lower chain scale segment. Because if Accor's focused on luxury and lifestyle, that fee income per unit is going to be so much higher than adding a franchise in in as the economy segment. Mm. Um, the other question that's out there, and I think Accor is quite interesting in this as well, of course Accor tried to get into the economy segment in the US uh, quite a few years ago with uh, uh, Red Roof and Motel 6 and it pulled out as one of the things that uh, um, it, it's had to slink away with its tail between its legs on this. It just completely failed in the US economy hotel market um, and I'd suggest the likes of Wyndham and Choice are formidable opponents here um, and uh, if, if you take Wyndham in particular um, they they say look we've got the strongest brand strength um, we're going to see off these um, these two characters Merritt and Hilton now Merritt and Hilton have some real advantages because obviously they've got this huge system there um, they've got this very loyal customer base who will sometimes want to have a cheaper accommodation option at the moment they don't have that and this is what Merritt and Hilton think they're going to be able to exploit and deliver on however um, Wyndham and to an extent also Choice um, have very good systems very good brands um, and very strong um, loyalty schemes as well so you know it's going to be quite a battle mm. I think in there and it's also interesting I think to say you know the reaction here in America where you've got them this is very much a domestic US thing um, I don't think we'll be seeing these economy brands heading out towards Europe anytime soon. Um, and what the Ameri what the Marriott and Hilton um, executives are talking about is filling in white space, as they call it. This is bits of the market they don't have a significant presence in and they think there's an opportunity here um, so it, it, it's it, it is um, interesting to see in America from a European perspective um, not so much um, because we've got that thing um, well how are we going to get uh, um, you know these brands to play um, in Europe and in um, I, I don't think we'll be seeing them um, anytime soon um, I think most of those economy, uh, most of that economy product is going to stay in the U.S. for the time being. Um, uh, you know, will we see that come across? Well, um, we'll see what the likes of Whitbread, Motel One, B and B, etc., does, um, um, because I think that's going to be a challenge if people are prepared to take on leases. Markets like S Scandinavia, like Germany, you've got to be in the lease game. None of the U.S. players are maybe just maybe the third party management the growth of that will unlock all of this but i think we're going to talk about that in a moment um with our next item please. well yes because we're now going to turn to have a, have a think about the uh, results that came in from uh, from accor and wyndham 
uh, and uh, again uh, stellar set of results increasing their outlook for the full year uh, but uh, what what happens next uh, Wyndham certainly doubling down on their their um, loyalty program they have over 100 million members now um, and interesting I thought was the comments from both of these uh, these big beasts about what's going on in Asia where they're seeing a really strong uh, return of business of course Wyndham much more international much more internationally focused than choice and probably even more so than um, than than Hilton and, and Marriott at this point um, so lo lots of color from uh, Jeff Bellotti the CEO about what's going on in Asia and how strongly the market is coming back in China and around China um, and um, even though they recently sold their shares in their Chinese partner HWorld, uh, Accor equally committed to uh, the Asian uh, region and, and interested interested very much in, in seeing things bouncing back stronger than they might have expected over there. Hmm. One thing that uh, come through so far in all these results is it's confounding the normal narrative about our sector, which is it's good when the economy is good and it's bad when the economy is bad. What we're seeing here um, is, I, th I think, I hope, a fundamental shift in uh, perspective about our sector. And it's one of the, the several changes that the COVID lockdowns have accelerated. Um, among those changes, um, I'd say leisure is now a Im more important segment for most hotel chains. Um, this is not because business travel has declined um, hugely. I mean, it certainly has declined, but it, it, it's not died and it's not uh, declined anywhere near as some, you know, I think Bill Gates is the prime example of those 50% going to disappear. Claptrap, <laughs> it's, you know, 0.5% maybe. Um, but, um, it, it, you know, uh, but it's certainly the case leisure matters much more today than pre-pandemic. Um, and part of the reason for this, I think, is another change has been accelerated by COVID lockdowns, um, and that's the importance consumers place on experiences rather than things. And uh, Bellotti talked about this um, in terms of the share of wallet given over to the experience economy growing. Um, and he, he said specifically, allocate. he, he expecting guests this year were going to be allocating a higher share of their wallets to travel this year um so uh, um and I, I don't think it's just this year i think it's going forward i think this is a long-term permanent shift um you know consumers are getting more and more fed up with adding to their piles of stuff and they're actually now wanting to accumulate memories instead the other thing i think we've touched on um a number of times on this podcast is this association of held hotel demand and gdp and in particular the cost of living um in in inverted commas crisis um it, you know there's no question you know that the higher energy and food prices have had an impact um on poorer people and it has been a significant challenge but they are not big consumers of hotels and so the hotel sector is significantly less impacted by this uh, again Wyndham gave some interesting numbers uh, around this um 
um, it said the median household income of its guest, a guest in the US, was 91,000 US dollars. This is about 30% higher than the US average. So, you know, and Wyndham has most of its brands in the in the economy and mid-scale segment. So this is at the sort of low end of the chain scale segments, and yet its guests are richer than average um the you know poor people not surprisingly are focused are, aren't big travelers and are focused more on the basics of energy and uh food um and i think this this, this proportion uh, um that we're seeing in the u.s would survive the journey across the atlantic to to europe hotels are a service bought by richer people and richer people are less impacted by rising energy and food prices um because they are proportionally a smaller part of their overall incomes. The other thing that I thought was interesting in the, the Wyndham presentation um, was the muted impact um, of a tighter lending environment. Um, certainly in terms of the overall returns perspective for owners so um, what Wyndham showed it did a worked example and it had interest rate at seven percent for a loan to value borrowing of 70 percent which i think is a bit bullish um, for a development but that's another issue but the cash on cash return to owners was in in excess of 16 percent so even with interest rates at seven percent for a very chunky loan um, the model is delivering very significant returns which will make it and continue to make it a very attractive proposition indeed so providing you can leave a, some sort of money out of banks um you uh, you know it's a you're onto a good thing by um, developing a hotel so i think this is uh, you know very encouraging i think from a from an outlook perspective for the sector um as as things settle down and people get back to borrowing again and as more importantly as lenders get back to lending again um the other thing from Wyndham, I think you just touched on, Chris, in terms of the, their international push, and certainly, you know, this has been significant. So they said uh, international rooms pipeline in March 23 was 18% higher than it was in December 29. Um, and Wyndham is very focused on the international direct franchise model rather than master franchising. Um, there's two things about that master franchising you don't actually see a great deal of fees um the the, the other thing about it is um you don't have um the control um leaping into accor um and this is again the contrast we're making between the north americans um or the americans the us um and and um, europe um you know accor is the dominant european franchise player um but it, it's not yet doubling down on that to deliver the kind of nug that one would anticipate it ought to be able to deliver um, it's in the same sort of range as Wyndham but significantly behind the other global majors such as Marriott and Hilton and particularly Hyatt um, there is some fun in terms of this reorganization Marriott's going through so I'm going to test you mm -hmm. now Chris are you ready um, see how because you've read these yeah. results already so MEASPAC M-E-A-S-P-A-C Middle East Africa and Asia Pacific uh, 
Mm. Yeah, that's yeah. not bad actually. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, including UAE, China, and Australia. Um, it's interesting. The the Accor presentation said including UAE, Dubai, <laughs> which uh, I don't know whether they're trying to tell some tell us something about whether Dubai's left the UAE or not. I don't know. But anyway, so they've got Mias back and Ina. Oh, Europe and Ina. North Africa. Yes. Oh, very yeah, casual, I, very, see. Very I, I did read it from cover uh, to cover. Ina yeah. was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd certainly never come across it before but anyway it's going to be one that catches on um but uh yeah so uh, what comes through because this this whole um rejig of accor into so it's got its power brands bit um which is the ibis the novatels etc and it's got its luxury and lifestyle bit um so looking at the power brands bit which is the one to look at in terms of the franchising thing um so uh interestingly europe is is lagging the miaspac bits the asia and middle east bits um and australia bits um so uh the pipeline um well europe has more rooms open than the mia spac bit um it, it the pipeline in mia spac is much bigger um and i think europe is you know needs to uh ACOR needs to do more in europe i would suggest I, I i find it surprising it's making so little headway in europe given it's you know it with ibis it's got twice the number of rooms in europe than its nearest brand rival which is um, holiday in express so you know given that scale that chicken and egg conundrum um accor is in the best place to break it but it doesn't seem to be exploiting that advantage um which i find surprising now it's going to have a capital markets day on the 27th of june so um hopefully we'll learn a bit more about its plans right there. now it's time for our uh, five star and no star awards of the week and uh, this week we are awarding five stars to uh, robin shepherd the uh, president of bespoke hotels and his uh, newly launched Blue Badge Access Awards, which are going to uh, set the bar for uh, the, the hospitality sector and hotels in particular and uh, find out who is doing the best to uh, address the needs of disabled people and make their, uh, their properties accessible for all. Yeah, it's interesting. They, they talk about the purple mm. pound, don't they? Which is the the spend of uh, disabled people. But I think it's broader than that because I, th I think it's not just disabled people. It's um, older people, um, and maybe that the, there's a particular market mm. opportunity. I think um, for that 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 piece you know before you'd qualify for your blue badge but where you just want a little bit something you know more accessible shower not so many stairs all this kind of stuff just make it a bit easier um, without actually having that formal disabled badge on the thing um, which you know I, I do feel that there isn't enough focus on that there's a you know real emphasis mm -hmm. on youth um, and yet we all know the demographics in Europe and North America and other established Asian nations such as japan and korea and even china it, it, it's it's an aging population um and people aren't doing the bit to you know to just to make it a bit more comfortable for older people and on a personal level for example you know my hearing is not what it was and uh, you know i i spend i go into a noisy restaurant and i spend my time lip reading because it's very hard to discern what's going on in the background a, a bit less of those hard surfaces a bit more of the the noise dampening and and you know 
keeping noise levels down so that you can actually have proper communication is something that works for me um but you know and i don't expect to have to you know i don't qualify for a blue badge and i you know wouldn't want to have to wave that around to get that kind of thing but i do pick a restaurant on whether i, I think i can um um hear the person i'm talking to i mean occasionally uh, <laughs> there are people trying to <laughs> doesn't <to> always <laughs> apply go to the noisy one but uh, yeah so i do think that's an even bigger market there to address this this sort of on the cusp or the the aging demographic there which are, i think the hotel and you know consumer sectors generally are very poor at addressing and this obsession with youth i think uh, and no stars this week are going to uh, resort fees and uh, the response of the big uh, hotel groups uh, marriott has just been obliged to uh, it's announced it's just now starting to include resort fees within its advertised prices on its own websites it's not doing this voluntarily it's the Attorney General of Philadelphia has uh, taken Marriott to task and in fact did uh, achieve a ruling against Marriott in 2021 which they have taken an awfully long time to get round to adhering to but uh, yeah you will now in future find um, Marriott websites showing the uh, much hated resort fees added into the uh, actual advertised room price um, however uh, many other websites, including the OTAs, have yet to uh, adhere to the same rules, uh, and they'll still be adding it on once you get there. Yeah, it's a bit rubbish, really, and I don't understand. We hear all this about you're responding to consumer demand, and when there's the chance to, um, you know, uh, stick it to the con- uh, stick it to the punters and rake in a bit of extra cash, they don't seem to care about brands and brand values. It's it's yep. a bit bizarre. So on that uh, rather sad note, we'll say goodbye for now. <laughs>